you this morning for this observance of the Lord's table. We thank you, Lord, that redemption is only found through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that Christ gave his church the privilege to partake in what represents his body and his blood. As we partake in the Father, let us always remember that it was Christ who bore your wrath against sin on the cross. That it is Christ and his death that was total and was complete and was perfect and was sufficient. They gave all who believe in him the power to be called sons of God and gave all of us who believe in him, Lord, the power to be your children, to be able to approach you, to approach your throne without condemnation. Father, we thank you this morning for the grace of another Lord's Day. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us through another week. All of us have had different types of things to happen to us this past week. But Lord, as we come to you this morning in prayer, we're praying that your grace be with us today as we refresh ourselves through the fellowshipping of the saints, through the partaking of the communion sacrament, through the means of grace in reading your word together and praying together and singing hymns together and the preaching and the hearing of your word. I pray, Father, that you refresh us all this morning by your spirit. Some of us in here are probably weary, weary in spirit from uh, a week's labor at, at work, labor as parents, as husbands, as wives, as, as children, as retired, just being in this world that is full of sin and full of debauchery. Lord, perhaps our souls are weary from the ravages and the effects of sin that lies in all of us. And Lord, perhaps we're disheartened by the, the state of our nation and the state of our world where uh, evil seems to be applauded and good uh, seems to be criticized. Where those call evil good and call good evil. Lord, perhaps there are weary saints among us who lament the state of affairs in our nation and in our world. But Father, it is in times like this where your word calls us to look to you, where your word calls us to call upon you. And Lord, we come to you this morning calling upon you to look on us, to have mercy on us. Lord, we look to you this morning as the spirit of truth, the spirit of unity. To, Lord, let your truth shine through us. Let us not be ashamed of your truth. Lord, we pray this morning for um, those in authority. Your word tells us 
to make prayers and supplications and to give thanks for all men and for those who are in authority. So, Lord, we pray for those in authority in Washington, D.C., in Montgomery, Alabama, in our city halls, in our county uh, commission's offices. We pray, Lord, that you may give them all a spirit of repentance and through even common grace, Lord, give them a spirit of biblical morality to know what is good and to know what is right and to know what is pleasing in your eyes. Lord, to not promote things that go against your word. But Lord, we pray that you may have mercy on them. And Lord, we pray for those lawmakers who do call your name, who do confess your name, and who do agree with your truth. Lord, their, their voices are being silenced. Lord, we pray that you give them the boldness to continue to proclaim your truth, to proclaim your gospel. Inspire them, Lord, continually with the spirit of truth. Grant them, Lord, to continue to confess your name without shame. And Lord, we pray for the church. We pray for Christian leaders. Lord, that they may hold the line. That they may not bow the knee to the culture. We pray for pastors everywhere. Lord, that you raise up, continue to raise up godly pastors, true pastors. To have a backbone, to stand up against truth, to preach against the truth, to encourage and, and declare to their congregations your truth and to charge their members, Lord, to, to stand for the truth. Give grace to all the true pastors throughout this land that both by the, uh, our lives and by our doctrine that we may set forth your true and lively word, that we may be an example to the flock as Paul charged Timothy. And Lord, we pray that you give all in our congregations, including here at the Living Church, that you give us your grace. Lord, that you give us meekness of heart, that you give us humility. Lord, that we may fight against the pride that rises up in our hearts, that we may receive your holy word, that we may serve you in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. Lord, be with all of us in this congregation and all congregations across this land that are part of your true church. We pray for our brothers here in our area, uh, Phil and Bob and Carlton and and Justin and Cody and Anthony and myself. Lord, be with all of us as men. Lead us and, and guide us. Grant us continual growth in love and service to your church. And give us grace, Lord, that, so that our congregants can follow our good example. And Lord, be with us this morning as your word is preached. Be with me, Father. Fill me with your spirit as I preach this, this parable. As I preach the text, may I be faithful to it. And Father, be with all of us 
by your spirit, send the spirit, Father, to illuminate the passage that we will hear this morning. Lord, remove all distractions from us so that we may focus on what you have to say to your church this morning. In whose name I pray, amen. Amen. Let us turn to, there's no mystery, when Matthew, the 13th chapter, we're looking at the parables of the kingdom. And this morning, we're going to look at the parable of the mustard seed and leaven. And it's basically two parables in one, but they both, in essence, have the same uh, meaning to them. And again, we welcome you all this morning to the Living Church. I pray that the grace of the Lord be with all of you all today as we look at our uh, message, that you're encouraged by the text and that you're challenged. Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33. And it reads as follows. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in his branches. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And those are the two parables. These twin parables both deal with the growth of the kingdom from small, humble, and weak beginnings uh, to exponential growth in both scope and reach. That's what these parables are, uh, in essence, about. One parable deals with the process of growth, which is the leaven, and the other deals with the scope of the growth in proportion to its beginning, and that is uh, the mustard seed. These kingdom parables show the nature of the kingdom of God, which was spoken by John the Baptist and Jesus himself. John the Baptist said in uh, Matthew 3 and 2, it says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom was expected to come then and with power, but the Jews and religious leaders did not see that. So when John came, John the Baptist came proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. They expected some man to come in and to save them from under Roman rule. They were under Roman oppression. And so when John proclaimed, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. They expected a royal king to come in and to deliver them 
But they didn't see that because Herod and Pilate were still in power in Rome. The Jews were still being oppressed by Rome. They were probably asking the question, where is this king? Where is the deliverer? That's what they were probably asking. Where's this king? Where's this deliverer? Who is coming to deliver us? That's what they were asking. And that's why ultimately they rejected Christ because they were looking for a king to deliver them, a king to save them from Rome. And when that did not happen and Christ came, although Christ is king, he was not the Messiah that they were looking for. And that's why they rejected him. Because he is not the one whom they were looking for. After feeding the 5,000, as chronicled in the Gospels, a lot of people miss this part of that story. But after Jesus fed the 5,000 or so, they wanted to make him king. They wanted him to rule over them. But that is not why Christ had come. And that was not yet his moment. But those people whom he fed, they wanted at that moment to make him king, to make him ruler. But that was not his moment. And so we see in these parables here, the small beginnings of the kingdom of God. And that's what the focus is going to be today. So our big idea is that uh, the kingdom of God, though it seems small and insignificant, it grows out of proportion to its original size and its growth is irresistible. So we're going to look at two principles this morning. The first one is small beginnings and weaknesses. You know, you've heard people uh, utter the phrase, don't, dis don't despise small beginnings. Uh, that is a biblical passage that says that. Don't despise small beginnings. We live in a culture where everyone likes things to be what? Big and spectacular. We want to be awed and amazed by things. Isn't that what we want? We want the spectacular. We want the miraculous. We want all these big things to happen. Very few people like to start small. Everybody wants to go on TikTok and become what? Viral. They want it big. They break their necks and break their bones or make themselves look like fools just to go viral. Why? Because they want the bigness of it. They don't, they don't want 1,000 views. I mean, come on, that's nobody. No, they want millions of views. They, 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 they want to go viral. Why? Because they want it big. Everything has to be big. Everything has to be amazing for everybody to see and be in awe of you. That is the kind of culture that we live in. Our culture fosters it. Our, our culture applauds that. Bigness. But 
there's nothing wrong with starting small and perhaps even remaining small but the point of this parable is small beginnings is not a bad thing when you look throughout scripture you see small beginnings I think about the patriarch Abraham Abraham in Genesis 12 he was living in Ur of the Chaldeans he was 75 years old he was already old and God had called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and, and told him to leave his country, leave his kindred, leave his family, and go to a land that I will show you. It was just Abraham and Sarah and his servants and all of their livestock, all of his animals and everything. That's all that it was. But what did God promise Abraham? He said that he was going to make him a what? A great nation and that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. But that promise was made to one man and his wife. And what did God do? God grew the nation of Israel because of that promise that he made. The Hebrew nation started because of that small beginning. I was reading the story of Gideon last night in Judges 6 and 7 where uh, the Midianites were oppressing uh, Israel because Israel didn't do their jobs in, in, in clearing out the land that they had conquered that God had given them so the Midianites became a thorn in Israel's side and so the Midianite army had gotten real big to over 100,000 and, and, and they were basically pestering uh, Israel and they needed someone to deliver them so God had called Gideon and Gideon said you know but basically God why are you calling me I'm from the smallest tribe and even inside his family his family is the smallest even inside of his tribe but God had called uh, Gideon to help deliver Israel out of the hands of the Midianites so Gideon gathered 32,000 men together to go up against this mighty mighty army of the Midianites and God said nope that's too many so out of 32,000, 10,000 left. Then there were 22,000. And then God told him that uh, to take all the men down to the water. And those who lapped up the water out of, their, out of their hands, you choose them. And the ones who don't, you get rid of them. So he ended up going from 32,000 men to only 300. And God said, these are the men who are going to deliver you from the Midianites so that Israel can't say that they did it by their own might and their own power. So God whittled the army, army of 32,000 down to 300 men. And then he divided them up into three different camps. And they had their trumpet horns, and they had their noise makers, and they gathered around the hilltops while the Midianites were in the valley, and they started blowing their horns at an appointed time, and they confused the army of the Midianite, Midianites, and they ended up killing each other. But it was only 300 men that God used to do that he didn't need 32,000 he just needed a small amount for his people to defeat them small beginnings we think about back in the book of Ezra we just did that last year in Ezra 3 where the temple was being built and then once the temple was built all the elders uh, who remembered the glory of Solomon's temple you know they were saddened because this temple that they rebuilt was not like uh, 
Solomon's temple. And there was a 14-year delay in building the temple because the, the, the men had become sad, and that's when Zechariah and Haggai encouraged them to rebuild the temple anyway, not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. But the elders were saddened because that temple that they rebuilt wasn't as glorious as Solomon's temple. They despised that small beginning again. And we can be guilty of doing the same things. We can despise small things thinking that they are insignificant. But what we're learning in this parable today is that that is not the case. And we're going to look at that with the mustard seed. So you have small beginnings and then you have weakness. The kingdom of God started in weakness or humility with Christ. Christ's birth, his life, and his death. Remember, just a reminder, not just during the period of December 25th, we must always be reminded that Christ was born in a manger. He was born in a trough, a feeding trough. That's a very humble beginning, a beginning of weakness. He wasn't born into royalty. No, he was born in a feeding trough. He was born in Nazareth, which was a very small town. Is, uh, does anything good come out of Nazareth was the question that was asked. He was described as a tender shoot. A tender shoot is just a, a little plant that branches off from a limb. He was described as a tender shoot or a, a sapling. A sapling is a, a fresh sprout from the stump of a failed tree. That's in Isaiah 53 and 2. He was of lowly origin, yet God was pleased with him. The weakness of the cross brought forth the glory of the resurrection and the ascension. The cross, the crucifixion on the cross was a sign of weakness. But what did it bring forth? It brought forth the glory of the resurrection and the ascension. The disciples in their weakness all were from lowly occupations. They were uh, fishermen and tax collectors. None of the disciples were rich. They demonstrated little faith in Matthew 8. They were fearful and sad at the suffering and crucifixion of Christ. We see that in Matthew 26. Yet they were commissioned by Christ in Matthew 28 to do what? Take the gospel to the world. Peter himself who showed his great weakness by what? Denying Christ three times. What did Christ tell him in John 20? Feed my sheep. These disciples were not the most stellar of men. When he told them not to worry in Matthew 6, he said, oh, you of little faith. The kingdom of God sometimes does begin in weakness or what seems to be weak in man's eyes. 
what seems to be small in man's eyes, but we are not to despise those small things or those weak things. You think about the church itself or herself. The church began with 12 men in Acts 1 and 26. They picked the 12th disciple to replace Judas. And then the church grew on the day of Pentecost to 3,000 in Acts 2 and 41. And then the church spread from the Jews only to who? The Gentiles amidst intense persecution and the church has continued to grow until this day. And it started with 12 men. 2,000 years later, guess what? The church is still what? Growing. The church is still having an impact in this world. The kingdom of God is still expanding. And it started with 12 men chosen by God. It began in perceived weakness. So, we go to the explanation of the parable. Questions to ponder here. Is a king supposed to deliver? That's the question that was being asked by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who rejected Christ. Why does the kingdom seem like it's not doing anything? Those are questions that were asked. Where's the defeat of the Romans? Where's the establishment of God's kingdom? It doesn't, it doesn't look like it's being established. These are questions to consider as we look at this parable. So let's look at the parable of the mustard seed first. It says here again, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Here's some cultural information about a mustard seed from a commentary uh, here. You know, because we hear that, you know, all you need is faith the size of a mustard seed, right? Okay. It says here, in both the Jewish and Greco-Roman world, mustard seeds were per proverbially known for their small size, even though other seeds, such as the orchid or cypress, were known to be smaller. Those who measure such things report that the mustard seed is one millimeter in diameter and is so tiny that it requires 725 to 760 seeds to equal one gram. Now, that's a lot of seeds for one gram. That's a very small seed. So that's how small the mustard seed was. And it says here also that the trees that came from one mustard seed grew as tall as 12 feet from a seed that's minuscule in size. It didn't say a plant. It said a tree grew from this mustard seed. So what this means is that the, the kingdom of, of God has small beginnings. And it seems unimpressive. But its growth and its scope is exponential just as I said a few minutes ago the church started with 12 men 
the kingdom of God, the, the church age, started with those 12 men in, in the book of Acts who were chosen. And Jesus told them to go wait, go tarry in Jerusalem until you are endowed or endued with power from on high. And then he gave them the charge to go to Judea, to Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. That was the beginnings of the, the church kingdom, the kingdom of God. But it started out small. It started out tiny. It started out minuscule. It appears unimpressive. Do you all know that as you go out, as I go out, as we leave, uh, as we disassemble from our church, that we still represent the kingdom of God? We are subjects in God's kingdom. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives of the kingdom of God. And that is how our church's impact spreads. It spreads by us being representatives of the kingdom, going out into our families, into our jobs, into our schools, into our homes, into the public square. And we are representing the kingdom of Christ. Although it seems insignificant, don't think that it is. Don't think just because we're a small church that we're insignificant. Don't think that. Because a lot of people are impressed by bigness. But bigness doesn't always mean impact. It doesn't always mean that. And because that's the American mindset that everything has to be big and impressive everything has to be you know you got to have 28 inch rims on your car not some little 16 inch rims you got to have some big ones on there you see these big trucks riding around these lifted trucks they got the Carolina squats and all that got those giant 28 inch rims on them you know everything has to be big and impressive so everybody can see you but the kingdom of God can at times appear unimpressive but that is not always true because its growth and its scope is exponential. That means it's a multiplied growth. Just think the church went from 12 to 3,000 just like that from one sermon from Peter. And then it continued to spread. Now it's multiple billions of people that are part of the kingdom of God that started 2,000 years ago. And that's just those who are living now. Think about those who've lived in centuries past and millennia past. How many people are part of the true church? How populated heaven is going to be just because of the small beginnings of 12 men? We can never underestimate the impact of the kingdom. The grace of God coupled with the Holy Spirit produces a righteousness that is vast in its influence. That's a, a, another point to this parable. The grace of God coupled with the Holy Spirit produces a righteousness that is vast in its influence. That's why I said it produces a righteousness within us that can influence other people, that can influence our culture. It can do that. We must not underestimate it. Don't think, you know, I remember this as a school teacher. 
The students who I thought wasn't paying attention were the students who I thought were not paying attention were the students who I thought hated my guts were the ones who loved me the most and the ones who I thought loved me the most were the ones who couldn't stand me. I learned it as a school teacher. You never know who you have an impact on even just in that realm. As a school teacher, think about on your job as a, as a believer. You never know who's watching you. You never know, know who's paying attention to you. You never know who is. I'm watching people. <laughs> I'm an observer. I'm, a, I'm an acute observer. I always have my head on the swivel. I'm always watching people. I learned that when I was in the military. You know, always be aware of your surroundings. Isn't that, isn't that right, Harvey? I always know what's around you. I, I'm always like that. I'm always observing no matter where I am. I'm always observing people. I'm always observing my surroundings. Always. Head on the swivel. Always. And I'm, and I'm observing people. I observe people in a situation where they have to react to something. Where, you know, you're at the doctor and the doctor taking too long. And, you know, see people getting upset and, you know, blowing a gasket or two. I'm like, hey, I'm here waiting too. You know, just, you know, I've waited here longer than you. You know, you got your food before I did, although I was here before you, you know. Like what happened at Denny's when we was in, in Orlando, you know, where the table behind us got upset because th their food was taking too long. And next thing you know, it was coming out. You know, the lady was like, it's taking a little while, you know. But you never know who's watching. You never know what kind of impact you're having. And as believers, we can't underestimate our kingdom impact. It may seem insignificant, but we can't look at it in those terms. And that's what we're thinking about with this mustard seed parable here. Righteousness has vast influence. Don't you think our culture needs that? We need righteousness to rise. The righteous believers need to stand and take a stand for righteousness and against evil. That is what our world needs. The church to be the church. To be salt and light. To be righteous. To, to show the world that living a righteous life it's good. It is pleasing to God. That's the impact that we have, and that's what this parable points us to. Another primary point of this parable is this, that though God's kingdom has small beginnings, or though Christ's kingdom has small beginnings, he expects it to grow in ways that are unexpected until he comes back. He expects his kingdom to grow because it's his kingdom. And he expects it to grow until he comes back. Although it has small beginnings. Christ was just one man. He was the God man. He was the most important man in all of human history. Why? Because he's God. You think about the influence of Christianity throughout the whole world. Do you know that it is because of Christ that we have years, that we have dates, that the calendar changed after he was born? It went from B.C. to A.D. Christ literally changed time with his birth. Christianity has permeated throughout the whole world world and has had an influence so vast that you cannot escape 
Christianity's influence no matter where you go. That's why people hate it so much. That's why those who hate Christ hate Christianity so much. Because they know the power of the kingdom of Christ and the effectiveness of it. They know it. That's why they keep trying to destroy the church. That's why they keep trying to infiltrate the church. That's why they keep trying to pervert Christianity. Because they know the effectiveness of it. If the church was just like everything else, then guess what? They wouldn't even bother it. But no, they know the power of the gospel. They know the power of the kingdom. And that's why the forces of darkness empowered and energized by Satan do all they can to try to destroy the church. Destroy all that relates to the kingdom. Matthew Henry said, the scope of this parable is to show that the beginnings of the gospel would be small, but that its latter end would greatly increase. In this way, the gospel church, the kingdom of God among us, would be set up in the world. In this way, the work of grace in the heart, the kingdom of God within us, would be carried on in particular persons. A particular person are those who are saved. The work of the gospel carries on in us. And that demonstrates the impact of the kingdom. That the work of the gospel continues in us. And as it works in us, we continue to live it out in this world. And because of that, guess what? The kingdom of God expands. Isn't that great? That the kingdom continues to expand no matter what. The scope of it, the growth of it, it continues. And then on the end of this parable, we have the leaven. Verse 33, it says, another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Now, leaven is not the same as yeast. Because yeast is the small substance we use to cause leavening. But it says here in the ancient world, leaven was merely fermenting dough. It says some fermented dough is kept back from baking and used to ferment the next batch. So leaven is not to be mistaken for yeast. But it is yeast that causes leavening. Excuse me. So in this parable here, it means that the kingdom of God is often unseen, just like leaven is. You don't see leaven working its way through the dough you see the end result of it but the kingdom of God is often unseen but its influence is always felt leaven itself is unseen but as it works its way through the dough it has tremendous power now leaven is often used in scripture to represent sin 
But in this parable, it is used by Christ to illustrate the growth of the kingdom, especially in the Old Testament, leaven was used to represent sin. But in this particular parable here, Christ uses it rather to illustrate the growth of the kingdom. So the primary point of this parable is that the hidden kingdom of God with humble beginnings through the humble Christ will result in God's work being complete in it. The hidden power of the leaven is irresistible as it awakens through the batch of dough. So this means that the power of God's kingdom is irresistible and it is unstoppable. It cannot be stopped. Just as leaven cannot be stopped in working through a batch of dough, the kingdom of God cannot be stopped. No matter what forces come up against God's kingdom, friends, it cannot be stopped. Therefore, we shall not fear. We should have no fear when the culture comes knocking at our door. What did Christ promise? We have to always remind ourselves the gates of hell would not prevail. It's Christ's church. Christ will assure that his church is not defeated. That's why we don't compromise. That's why we don't fold. That's why we don't bow the knee to the lies of our culture. Why? Because we have Christ defending us. We have Christ protecting us. We have Christ who has secured us. The church is the fortress of God. It is a buttress of truth. We proclaim the truth knowing that no force of evil can overtake us. That should give us great confidence because we who are part of the kingdom are in the church. We're part of the church body. We are the body of Christ. And we have nothing to fear, people. Yes, they can threaten us. But they can't ultimately harm us. We have no reason to be afraid of them. We have no reason to be afraid of their threats. None. Why? Because we are part of the kingdom of God. It is irresistible. The kingdom of God is unstoppable. Until Christ comes back, the kingdom of God will have an impact. Even if it's just one person. It's still going to have an impact. If you think about our lives, the effects of the gospel is hitting at first. When we're first saved, the impact of the gospel, the effect of the gospel in our lives is not seen right away. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, the effect of the gospel grows exponentially we'll see that growth in us as we learn the gospel more as we absorb the gospel more as we apply the gospel more we will see the effects of the gospel 
in our lives as we mature in the Lord, as we grow in Christ, we will see the effects of the gospel. And we'll also see the effects of it in the lives of others. It's hidden at first because you don't feel it. But we can't go by our feelings. The gospel does have an effect in the lives of those who are saved by it. We must know that. We must hold on to that as believers. Matthew Henry said, The scope of this is much the same with that of the parable before. He's talking about the parable of the mustard seed. To show that the gospel should prevail and be successful by degrees, but silently and insensibly. The preaching of the gospel is like leaven and works like leaven in the hearts of those who receive it. Uh, Ryan Limbaugh, he had posted this about seven, eight years ago on Facebook, and, and we had a discussion about it while we was riding bikes on the Chief Ladaga Trail one day. He talked about the cumulative effect of the gospel and the cumulative effect of hearing the preaching of the word. And he said that the hearing of the gospel has a cumulative effect on our lives unbeknownst to us. We're not aware of it because we're not supposed to be aware of it because we are aware of it then that's the sin of pride. But we're not aware of the cumulative effect of the gospel and constantly hearing the gospel, constantly rehearsing the gospel to yourself that it has a cumulative effect in our lives. It is like leaven that works in the hearts of those who receive it. And it grows in us by succession of degrees. And I thought that was very powerful uh, that, he, uh, that he said that, that it is a cumulative effect. The more we hear the gospel, the more the gospel works in our hearts. The more we you know, read the Bible, the cumulative effect of scripture, the cumulative effect of church attendance and fellowshipping with the saints there's a cumulative effect to all of those works of grace all those means of grace so in other words don't think that you just come into church and singing with the saints and praying with the saints and hearing the preaching of the word don't think that it's some mundane useless activity no it is something cumulative that happens in you as you do those things, God continues to pour out his word, his, his, his gospel into your hearts. And you just mature day by day and week by week and month by month and year by year. And that accumulating effect grows you, has an impact in your life. Don't think that it doesn't. That's why many people don't know what they're missing when they forsake the assembling of the saints together. They don't know what they're missing. By God's grace and only by his grace. I haven't missed a lot of Sundays since May 12, 1991. By his grace, I have not. 
there's a cumulative effect to that. To the point where, you know, if I'm on vacation, I make sure I'm back by Sunday. <laughs> because I don't, you know, one, I'm a pastor, but two, I don't want to miss church. Now, there have been times we were out of town on Sunday, and we found a church to go to while we were out of town. Because I, I just, it's just something, something in me, just, I just got to go to church. I want to hear the preaching of the word. Rather, you know, listen to someone else preach it. But the point is, is that in, in the context of this passage here, the leaven works through the dough in degrees, just as the gospel works through us in degrees. And just as we, as believers, our influence works through the world around us in degrees. It's not going to be instant. It's not going to happen overnight. That goes all the way back to what we said in the beginning about not despising small things and small beginnings. It doesn't take much leaven to work through a batch of dough. It doesn't take but one tiny mustard seed to grow a tree up to 12 feet tall. Don't underestimate the impact of the gospel. Don't underestimate the impact of your influence in this world as a believer, your influence on those around you, particularly those who are closest to you. Teenagers don't underestimate the impact with your peers. And I know it's tough in the world that we live in, especially for our younger people. I'm glad I didn't grow up in this generation, I'm telling you. Like it's, I said, thank, Lord, thank you. I was born in 1971 because I couldn't imagine growing up in this, in this age. I can't. The pressures that our, our children have. The, the social media pressure uh, that they have, I, I can't imagine it. But despite that, you can still have an impact in this world. It's hidden, but it is working. Amen? Applications here, very short and simple. Number one, don't despise small beginnings or small things. Don't despise them. Don't think small means bad. Or don't think small means not good. You know, I can use uh, Orlando as an illustration. You know, you have the big parks, you have the Universal Studios, you have the Disney, you have the SeaWorld. You know, they cost $140 per ticket. But do you know they have smaller amusement parks in Orlando too? They're not as spectacular as Universal, but the lines are shorter. <laughs> and your pockets would be lighter, parents. <laughs> But they have smaller parks around there. Oh, I want to go to Universal. I want to go to Disney World where magic happens. Well, you know what magic happens at uh, Disney World? Money magically disappears from your checking account. <laughs> That's the kind of magic that happens at Disney. You know, your, your checking account is magically shrinking. You know, your, your, your wallet is magically shrinking, you know. But they have smaller parks around there. I said, ah, I don't, they're too small, they're lame, you know, it, 
but 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 because that's our mindset, we think that big is always nothing wrong with big. But we can't have that mindset when it comes to the things of the kingdom either. Because we can take that same mindset into the things of the kingdom. We can think that, oh, I can't have an impact. Or my church can't have an impact. You know, no, don't despise small things or small beginnings. Number two, don't underestimate the smallness of your work in God's kingdom. What seems unimpressive to man is impressive to God. Always remember that. Work that you do in your church. Don't underestimate the smallness of your work in your church, in your home, wherever you are. Don't underestimate the smallness of your work. Don't despise it. Number three, kingdom work never ceases. It continues. Kingdom work never ceases. We're always doing kingdom work, friends, no matter where we are. Remember, we read in Ephesians 6 this morning, right? Uh, children obeying your parents is kingdom work. Parents not provoking your children is kingdom work. Uh, employees working on your jobs, working as to the Lord, not to man. That's kingdom work because you work for a king. You work for Christ. You don't work for your employer. Their name may be on your check stub, but you ultimately work for Christ. He is your king. He is your Lord. He is the one whom you serve. And it is his glory to whom you work. And then lastly, the influence and extent of God's kingdom cannot be underestimated. I can't say that enough. Do not underestimate the influence and the extent of God's kingdom. Don't underestimate it. Don't look at it through man's eyes. We don't want to underestimate it. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you first that small beginnings are good beginnings. Lord, we think that in your eyes, small things are good things. Lord, help us to see as believers, to not see as the world sees, but to see as you see. To see, Father, that your kingdom is still spreading, that your kingdom is still influencing people and bringing souls into it. Lord, as we look at our lives, may we not despise the work of the gospel in our lives. May we not underestimate the impact that we can have on others. Lord, give us gospel boldness to continue to live as citizens of your kingdom, despite how small and weak it may seem. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.